Welcome to season two of Sanity Pod by Sanity Media. I'm Audrey Scagnelli, and I think we could all use a little more sanity right now. For this season, you can expect to hear from the helpers, people moving mountains near and far to support their communities, many from the front lines, the kind of people Mr. Rogers always knew to look for. That's why I think that if news programs could make a conscious effort of showing rescue teams, medical people, anybody who is coming into a place where there's a tragedy, to be sure that they include that. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. I think perhaps that's more important in this moment in time than any before. I'm based in New Orleans, a city that's being hit hard right now. And one of my parents is a healthcare provider. Like millions and millions of Americans, this is a really difficult time. And these conversations have been a real source of comfort for me and for our team at Sanity. I hope they'll be the same for you. If you'd like to get more involved, you can find us at sanitymedia.com, on social media at SanityPod. And if you've been touched by a helper, please email us. We're at info at sanitymedia.com. I'm going to get a little choked up here um, that people are good and that people do want to help. And just, you know, I always say never doubt the power of moms when we join forces to make something happen, but never doubt the power of just humans. On this episode of Sanity Pod, we'll hear from Becky Vieira. She's a mommy blogger and the brainchild behind Masks for Heroes. They wrote their first Instagram post on March 19th, not that long ago, and they've since helped collect donated PPE with requests in over 30 states as well as a number of countries around the world. And later by Mark Gunderson, who through his church volunteered with Samaritan's Purse to help construct the 68-bed emergency field hospital that's now fully operational in Central Park in Manhattan. Here's Becky. The idea first started, it was a few weeks ago as things were ramping up. I have some friends who are doctors and nurses at local hospitals here in California, and our kids go to preschool together. And they started talking about how face masks were disappearing, gloves were disappearing, any kind of PPE was was just basically vanishing in a matter of 20 minutes after delivery from the hospitals. And pretty soon they realized they were going to be out and they were going to be out quickly. So I thought, I have this platform on Instagram. Why can't I use it to help people I love and people I care about? So I started posting on there just saying, hey, does anyone have these masks? I can put you in touch with people who need it. Before long, we created a dedicated Instagram account. People came on board and helped us create a website. Since then, I I feel like I haven't sat down. (laughs) It's been very busy, but incredibly rewarding. And you've built a website that has a map of the United States and basically pins identifying where there are needs. The map seems to be filling more and more every day I look at your website. How did you get this off the ground so quickly? 
just a lot of very wonderful volunteers, a lot of people with complementary skills who just had a passion for helping people and they all came together. Someone just messaged me and said they wanted to build a website. A former colleague of my husband's came to me and she has a digital marketing firm. And she said, I want to offer my services pro bono. From there, the same thing happened with the PR firm, engineers. It really just spiraled beautifully and quickly with just wonderful people willing to donate their time. One of the things that you're doing is helping people learn how to make masks. Uh, We've talked about it's a stopgap measure. It's obviously not even close to as ideal as an N95, but it's a protective barrier to keep an N95 cleaner. How have you guys been putting out resources to help people make these masks? And just what, what has that part of this been like? The sewing of the masks has been just a a wonderful project. And really, a lot of it started with raising awareness that this was even needed. Um, We began sourcing patterns and tutorials and how-to videos and sharing them on our social media and on our website. People started coming to us and saying... I didn't realize this is within my skill set. I can do this. From there, it was people coming to us and saying, I have one sewing machine. I have arthritis. I don't sew. Does someone in, you know, my my regional area want to borrow it? Or I have extra fabric and no way to get it out. So we created kind of a community page on our Facebook for people looking to sew. And we've been connecting people. We've been connecting fabric. We've been connecting elastic. We've been sharing tips. And it's really just exploded. I mean, people are sending out hundreds of masks a day. Can you share a story of one of these deliveries that's just kind of touched your heart? Oh, gosh, there's so many. You know, I have a friend in Miami and she's been helping us run it. She's personally been going and driving around fabric and dropping it off and picking up masks and delivering them. And just the, I'm getting chills, the gratitude and the tears. And it's, it's why we do it because these people are scared for their lives. And I've said to people, you know, this is a life and death situation for our healthcare workers. If people don't realize that yet, they need to. We got a video the other day that we shared on our Instagram page of this little girl dancing and cheering when her mother got the delivery of masks, because even at that young age, she understands how important it is. And, you know, we're not just delivering masks. I hope we're also sending along some hope and some love and some comfort for these people during these times while staying home. (laughs) You guys have built a community online and your social media page. I mean, it seems like every day is getting more and more and more people who are trying to do their part. So if listeners want to get involved, how should they find you? They can visit us on Instagram at masks for heroes. Our website is maskforheroes.com and we're also on Facebook and Twitter. So we've got information on how people can help, whether it's donating N95 masks, whether it's sewing or just, you know, if they're like me, I have no masks and I can't sew, we have other ways to help too. And that's kind of spreading community awareness. I think that's so important. I, I just was sharing with you that I have a parent who's a healthcare worker and Uh, found out today that there are no scrubs. There's paper scrubs. So this is uh, something I'm very grateful you're doing because it's affecting millions of people in this country and it's, it's affecting the people I love most. It's not acceptable. It's not, it's not 
good enough. This is the United States in 2020. We need to be doing better for these people because if we don't take care of our healthcare workers, they can't take care of us. It needs to happen. I could not agree more. Before we start to close, what what has been one challenge that's maybe unexpected or something that you still need some assistance on or still kind of noodling on how to how to figure out how to handle? I think a challenge for us is that we didn't expect to grow as quickly as we did. So we're always looking for volunteers for people to help. You know, it's everything from moderating our groups to helping us send out emails. So if anyone has time and wants to help, reach out to us on social media. Um, we were talking as a group about this the other day, and, and I asked that question, what, you know, what's our biggest challenge? What didn't we expect? And I think that the unanimous answer for all of us was we didn't expect how hard this would be emotionally. We're grassroots. We're on the ground. We are taking these requests. We are talking to these people. I've had wives tell me that their husbands called them from the hospital saying, look around the house for bandanas. I don't have masks. I need that. I've had um, a nurse who's the sole breadwinner for her family is now, she's still breastfeeding her nine-month-old son, has now had to send her husband and two children to stay with their family because her unit is now the COVID unit and she can't risk infecting them. And families are separated. People, we're trying to help people find hotel rooms. You know, these people, these healthcare workers, some of them can't go home to their families and they're also being responsible for covering hotel rooms or some of them are even looking into RVs. And it's just, it's been hard. I think we've all had our moments. I've had more than my share of emotional breakdowns, but, you know, hopefully what we're doing is, is helping in some small way and that keeps us going. I have to say I relate fully in spending time speaking with hospitals across the country on sourcing PPE, which, you know, like you, this is not something that I uh, maybe ever envisioned I'd be doing. Um, the emotional uh, toll of that is not insignificant. How are you coping? What are some things that you've done maybe for yourself to to keep your sanity in, in check? Probably not as much as I should, but also we're moving forward so quickly. I I think that probably the full impact of this will hit when we slow down. But right now, we just keep charging forward. I do work with an amazing group of individuals, and we try very hard to make sure we stay in touch and that we're checking in on each other. And, you know, I used to be someone who would only text or email, and we're making sure we're getting on the phone and having that voice-to-voice -voice connection and supporting each other and listening and reminding reminding all of us why we're doing this. And not the cuddles with my son, I think. That helps too, family time. Uh, well, our last question for every guest on Sanity is, what are you most optimistic about right now? I'm hopeful that we can continue to do what we're doing. But I think if anything, this has just really reminded me that at the core of it, people are good and I'm going to get a little choked up here um, that people are good and that people do want to help. And just, you know, I always say never doubt the power of moms when we join forces to make something happen, but never doubt the power of just humans. This has just really been so overwhelming. People rallying together and doing whatever they can to help strangers. And it's just really been a beautiful thing. Well, Becky, thank you so much for what you're doing. You know, it's, incredible and emotional 
to me and and I know to probably anyone that's going to listen to this. So I really appreciate it. And thanks for finding time to speak to us while you're in the middle of doing this important work. Well, thank you. And thank you to your father as well. And to all the healthcare workers out there, we stand with you. We support you. And we just are beyond grateful for all of them. Second that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Becky and the volunteers at Masks for Heroes. If you'd like to get more involved, check out MasksForHeroes.com or Masks for Heroes on Instagram. The sound you hear in the background, by the way, is the, the daily 7 p.m. cheers throughout New York City for all medical and essential workers. That's Mark Gunderson. He was part of the volunteer effort to construct a 68-bed emergency field hospital in the middle of Central Park. It was an incredible experience for me, and it was just a privilege to be able to be a part of it. Samaritan's Purse has two mobile hospital units. One is south of Milan right now, and the second one came Sunday to New York City. And um, they set it up in the East Meadow of Central Park across from Mount Sinai Hospital. And I received an email from our church, Redeemer Presbyterian, saying that volunteers were pretty urgently needed to get that the tents and the pharmacy, et cetera, et cetera, set up in time for uh, it to be operational by Tuesday morning to take overflow patients from Mount Sinai. So I went over and spent the day just as an unskilled laborer, you know, building shelves for the pharmacy, uh, helping kind of set up the tents clearing trash, et cetera. But uh, it was an incredible thing. And they finished setting everything up ahead of schedule. There were 50 volunteers or so who came from all throughout New York, biked over, um, walked over and helped out. I think there was just a spirit of gratitude among the locals here that uh, the staff at Samaritan's Purse and the on-call nurses basically responded within 24 hours to come to our city and help us in our hour of need. And it felt pretty extraordinary to see Central Park, that area of Central Park, which holds you know music festivals and people playing soccer, and to see um, fourteen tents with sixty-eight beds, you know, being put up there, I was able to speak to a few of the nurses who had come from all over the country. A nurse named Chelsea from Ohio, Deborah from Oregon. There were others from Michigan, uh, Charlotte, and they said that they had received a text message saying, you know, uh, activating and saying, you know, can you get to New York in twenty-four hours? And they all flew here within 24 hours and were are ready to kind of work the day and night shifts at this field hospital. So I think it was kind of sober feeling in the sense that you know, there are a lot of patients that are um, in a tough situation, but a lot of hope that this was going to help Mount Sinai operate better. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit SamaritansPurse.org. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Audrey Scagnelli, and on our next episode, we'll be hearing from Team Rubicon, a network of 110,000 veterans, many of whom are, as we speak, deploying across the country to help with COVID response. If you'd like to get in touch, or if you've been touched by a helper, please email us. We're at info at And don't forget to look for the helpers. As Mr. Rogers says, you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope.